Welcome back to another episode of the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang. I'm Dave Rome. And I'm Kaylee Fritz. And I'm Zach Edwards. Uh, this, Zach, we have you two episodes in a row now. This like feels like quite the luxury after not having you for so long. Yeah, crazy things. <laughs> I mean, in addition to having you back twice in a row, we do have an especially interesting show for everyone today. And we are going to be focusing on uh, some interesting developments recently in road wheels and tires. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about a couple of very different industry opinions on rim width and tubeless tires. So I think we should just go ahead and dive right into this. Dave, Roval just announced its latest flagship road wheels, the uh, the Rapide and the... Alpinist. Yeah. Uh, and safe to say that they are both a little bit different than what we have seen and heard from Roval in the past. So what is going on here? What is... Why are we talking about these things? So... Yeah, I guess the the big story here is that they've got two new high-performance wheels to replace the current disc brake CLX range, and they cannot be used with tubeless tires, according to Roval. Which is particularly interesting since Specialized, so just just to clarify, Roval is the wheel brand of Specialized, just like kind of Bontrager with Trek and so on and so forth, Um, but... No, 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 it's a separate thing. Yes, yes, I know. They are totally separate entities, blah, 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 so on and so forth. They tell me this Words, all the words, time. words. Yes. I, I, <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. They tell they've been, you know, they, all these companies have been saying this whole, the same line for years and years and years. They share a wind, they share a wind tunnel. So that's the only connection. <laughs> and the boxes that they show up in say specialized yeah, weird, on them. Weird. Huh, which is odd. weird. Anyway. They're very strange. Yeah. Specialized warehouse. <laughs> so, but this is a particularly interesting development because. Specialized has been one of the biggest proponents of road tubeless wheels and tires in recent years, even going so far as to be putting their sponsored teams, their sponsored pro teams, even at the tour on tubeless tires and, you know, making a big, a big to do about, you know, their, their racers being on them at the races and winning different events and so on and so forth. And this seems like a complete about face. What is, why did they do this? It's it's super surprising and it remains a little unclear to me as to what brought this what brought this on because even just in January this year they were saying that you know within within twelve months they're hoping their World Tour teams would be racing tubeless and the mechanics of both those teams are saying you know we're we're actively testing them and we we do believe that we'll be racing tubeless soon so I suspect they're there may have been some safety concerns or something that hasn't been said that has made them backflip on it and just say, you know, for now, let's just stick with the safest option, the option that has existing standards that are agreed upon, uh, the option that the market is ready for, and let's just wait on the whole tubeless thing. Well, and what's also kind of odd is that if you look at the rim profile, it seems pretty obvious to me that that wheel was designed to be tubeless. I mean, it has that very characteristic center channel and like the bead shelf, uh, the bead lock shelf design and everything. Like it, by all accounts, it looks like a tubeless wheel. Yep. And it, you know, there's also a big sticker on the rim tape that says, you know, no tubeless stuck on top of tubeless tape. Nonetheless. Mm. Yeah, indeed. It's indeed. So it seems like a lot of conflicting messages. Like it, it, it <laughs> I mean, we, we have, we have been, well, back up a little bit. I mean, road tubeless, is something that we have talked about quite a bit on previous episodes and on the regular podcast as well as being something that has been kind of 
fraught with confusion, I guess, in industry-wide and in the marketplace among consumers, mainly because there is still a complete lack of an industry-wide standard, not even just for the shape of the rim, but even the, the bead seat diameter and the tire construction, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, given how the wheels look, I can't help but wonder if these were actually designed to be tubeless from the get-go, and yes. then something happened, and then Specialized was like, whoa, 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 we can't say that these are tubeless. Like, like there, there is some piece of the puzzle here that we are not getting, because... You know, if you if you read Dave's article that he wrote on these wheels, Specialized's claim is that you know it, it's there's a little bit too much inconsistency right now, and um, you know basically they're just saying that the technology isn't quite ready for prime yeah. time, yeah. which well is all true, but that I mean none of that stuff has changed in the last few months publicly anyway. Yeah. So it seems like something happened that we don't know about necessarily that caused them to change their tack here. So the official line from them is that they don't believe the additional weight required for tubeless um, offsets the um, the disadvantages or the advantages that tubeless road offers at this point in time. So they're saying that by making them not tubeless ready, they can make the wheel lighter they have to reinforce the rim less and then the whole system is lighter as a result and that that weight offers greater benefit than the potential benefit of road tubeless um are these particularly light though i mean they were t the last ones they had were tubeless yeah and are they like way lighter than the they're, last they're ones? not no so i mean it, it is a bit of a suspect line to take from the company but i mean that is the official word but yeah when you read between the lines it seems like it's 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 bigger than that. Um, so, so just to sort of wrap this up, we've got a we've got a, a brand new set of wheels that looks to have all of the normal uh, things that a tubeless rim will have. It is not much lighter than sort of what we would expect from a wheel like this, and yet they're, they're impressively light. But sure, yes, yeah, but like they're impressively light in the way that most carbon wheels mm -hmm. these days are impressively yeah. light, right? They're not, they're not massively, mm -hmm. massively lighter. Uh, coming from a company that has pushed tubeless technology quite heavily over mm -hmm. recent years, I mean, to the point of, you know, putting Julian Alphilippe on tubeless wheels and tires last year during the Tour de France, suddenly doing an about face and telling us that a set of wheels that looks like a tubeless set is not that's pretty much it just to, i'm just summing everything it feels up feels okay. weird but, but be, <laughs> be, before we get too deep into this discussion i want to bring up a counterpoint to this because the other half of this argument is that we recently had a new wheel release from zip uh with the new 303 firecrest which kind of follows on the heels of the 303s kind of more mid-range model that they debuted a few weeks earlier um and those couldn't be more different i mean you know, these Rovals have different rim profiles front and rear. They're very specifically, supposedly non-tubeless. Um, and then, you know, these 303 Firecrests are the same front and rear. They're super wide internally. They're hookless. Uh, the Roval wheels are hooked. That's a key feature. Um, and then Zip is not only fully embracing tubeless tires, but they say that you have to run tubeless tires. And moreover, the recommended pressures that they're putting out there are quite low. So, I mean, they're saying that 
this whole thing is, you know, they're calling it total system efficiency, which, you know, they've always been focused on kind of aerodynamic efficiency and low weight. But now they're saying that another part of the speed puzzle is that it is beneficial to rider speed if they are on a tire that rolls faster and is more comfortable and has better grip and so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, we haven't really had a chance to dive in deep with the people at Roval because these just came out a few days ago. But I did get an opportunity to talk to a couple of key people at Zip about their philosophy on those 303s. Um, so I think we should hear now from the conversation that I had with uh, Zip engineer David Morse and their wheel product manager, Bastian Donze, to go over their thoughts and what they were going after with this 303 Firecrest. So let's listen to that. Hello, my name is David Morse. I am an advanced development engineer over at Zip Speed Weaponry. And I am Bastian Donze, so I'm the, the wheel product manager for Zip, uh, looking after road wheels and mountain bike wheels. Excellent. Well, thanks to both of you guys for making the time to be on with the Nerd Alert podcast. Good to have you. Um, Good to be here. Thank you. So the reason we are here today is uh, by the time people are listening to this, uh, the, everyone will have become familiar with not only the 303S, but also the new 303 Firecrest. And uh, I think it's safe to say that the 303 family now is quite a bit different than the previous generation. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, how is it that Zip came to decide that it was time to make this leap forward like this? And yes, I did just use the tagline from the original Double Tap. <laughs> that was on purpose. Like what you did there. I think I wanna. I think I wanna take this one if that's okay. So this is a. This is an interesting one, right? Because um, uh, when you look at uh, at the history of Zip, we've had three or three Firecrest and three or three wheels in the line for a very long time now. And I think at the beginning of its history, 303 was a little lost in between 202, that was the super lightweight wheel at the time, and, and then 404, which was more the uh, the fast wheels, and, and 303 was a little strange, you know, it, it was a bit of not quite as light as 202, not quite as fast as 404, so people did not really understand the positioning of the wheel. And uh, and the big uh, turnaround I think for 303 came uh, came over in in 2010 uh, when uh, when we tested a lot with uh, pro racers and and made 303 uh, the fantastic wheel the absolute wheel for the spring classics and uh, it was you know the first carbon wheel that was used uh, to win uh, to win races in uh, on the cobbles uh, the first time a carbon wheels would actually not only survive the cobbles but win with the double Flanders Roubaix uh, from Fabian Cancellara, I think in 2010. And, uh, and then, you know, like uh, that's, that was really like the, the big kickoff for the, the, the new generation 303 with the firecrest shape and then the, clean, the, the full carbon clincher. And, and over time, since then, 303 has become the super versatile profile that is used by uh, just about everyone to do just about anything between Grand Fondo and Cyclocross and, and so on. And now with embracing this idea that the wheel is like the 303 specifically is more of this kind of like do everything drop bar wheel. I mean, it is super, super different. And I feel like a lot of people are going to have a hard time wrapping their head around a lot of things around this wheel. And one of them is the fact that, uh, you know, you know, Bastian, you said that, you know, the 303 was kind of almost kind of in limbo between the 202 and 404, but I don't think anyone... I don't think anyone doesn't think the 303 is not supposed to be an aero fast wheel of some sort. 
And now you have this, you know, this one spec, first of all, where the minimum recommended tire size is now 28 millimeter. Now, first of all, is that 28 millimeter printed size or measured size? That would be the, the labeled tire size is 28 millimeters. Okay. Um, now, when you put a 28 millimeter printed tire on a rim of this width with a 25 mil internal width, uh, and it would be slightly narrow on the 303S, but still, on either of these uh, rims, when you put a 28 mil printed with tire on there, it's going to measure closer to like 31-ish. Close to it, yeah. It'll be about 30.4 millimeters when you, when you mount it to yeah. the, the 303 Firecrest. How is it now that, I mean, we have all this data and there's all this research now that shows that a bigger tire inflated to, you know, a lower pressure, assuming you have like a good supple casing, a good rubber, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, assuming those things are true, that sort of tire is faster, rolls faster than, than, you know, the old school 23, 25 mil tire is inflated to, you know, 100, 110, whatever. Um, but it's still a lot to wrap their head around. How do you, how, how do you reconcile that? You know, how do you, how do you get a, I guess, how do you get that message out to people? Because we've certainly tried to do it. And a lot of people are catching on. But, you know, like just the other day, I was on a road ride and I, I had to stop on the side of the road. The guy, uh, I ran into someone who, you know, had a flat and wasn't really prepared. And, you know, loaned him this tiny, tiny little mini pump. <laughs> super, super tiny that I really only used for emergencies. And and um, he was kind of joking, but he was, you know, a, a little bit bummed that he said that, he, you know, he wasn't going to be able to get up to 120 PSI. I'm like... What are you doing running 120 Ooh. psi? <laughs> oh, so how, how do you, um, I guess, yeah, how do you get that messaging across? Especially since in this particular case, I would argue that the recommended pressures that you're putting out there are almost even lower than what a lot of people are already willing to accept now. Yeah, it's definitely a big diversion from uh, traditional road tire sizes and pressures. And there, there are a couple of things that are all acting together to make that optimum pressure way lower than people are used to. Um, so there is a lot of uh, messaging that we're going to have to do to make sure people understand what pressures they should be using and why. Um, but it comes down to four things, really. So the larger tire sizes um, are, a, are a factor. When you go to a larger tire size, you get a stiffer spring rate for a given pre tire pressure. Um, so if you want to have a comfortable ride um, and an efficient ride, you're going to need to drop the pressure as you go larger in tires. And then the wider rim, as you mentioned, um, kind of simulates a larger tire. So that effect alone um, creates about a 10 PSI offset. So you're going to have to drop your pressure about 10 PSI just from the additional internal rim width from, from these wheels. Um, and then uh, there's also um, the, the science that we've been doing uh, regarding larger tires, lower pressures is driving us towards even lower pressures than people are, are used to. So what, what we're finding is over rougher roads or, or asphalt that's not perfect, you want to run lower pressure to be more efficient. And it's, it's some of these losses, maybe we'll get into it in a second, but um, it's these losses encountered when you hit those small bumps in the road that you are trying to overcome. And by lowering your pressure, you're going to have uh, less effect from those bumps up and down uh, traveling over. So all these things are working together to drive that optimum pressure way, way down. I think it was, uh, I believe it was Jan Heine who's kind of coined this this term suspension losses. I think I, th I think he probably gets the credit for that. Um, but it, David, I think he basically what you're saying is that you know unless you're on absolutely glass smooth pavement, which no one has, 
um, you know, or like a wooden wooden tracks that, that sort of thing. I mean, you do want some some benefit of you know basically some sort of like mini suspension from your tires in order to keep your whole mass from moving up and down with all the variations in the road right yeah, that's exactly right so there's kind of um competing losses that go on when you ride a bike you have your aero loss which is typically quite big on a road bike um you have the losses due to gravity if you're going uphill gravity's going to be pulling you back and then you have uh, losses due to rolling resistance which are come from uh the hysteresis or, or the, the the difference in the energy that you put into the tire when you squeeze it flat on a contact patch versus the tire that it, versus the energy that it returns when it, it when it rounds back out after um, it's, it's rolled past the contact patch, and then you also have those suspension losses, or we call them vibration losses, um, that come from uh, just basically bumping the the huge mass of a rider up and down. And depending on which of those losses is the most important, given your certain conditions, is going to determine how you optimize your bike setup. And more often than not, the road roughness that you're riding on, even if it's an asphalt road, is going to outweigh, say, rolling resistance. And so you're going to want to favor a lower pressure to minimize the vibration losses when you ride over those rough roads. Yeah, I think it's funny that um, yeah that we're having this conversation at all because you know for anyone listening to this who has ridden mountain bikes for a long time, I mean this is old hat for for all of us. I mean, I mean I, I you know I, I run my pressures on my mountain bike in you know like the high teens, low twenties, and it's specifically for that reason because I know I can go faster despite the fact that it feels smoother. Whereas historically people have equated this this i this you know this kind of feel of you know harshness and buzziness on the road to like a fast ride when actually if you're feeling that it's telling you that you're actually going slower than you should be yeah this is definitely a case of roadies catching up to the mountain bike technology and the mountain bike science where it, it actually is no coincidence that we released uh, a mountain bike wheel uh, a year and a half ago and now we're coming out with this new sense we kind of had our blinders opened up by diving into our uh, three zero moto project, but learning the the preferences of of mountain bikers and now gravel riders, the the prevalence of, of gravel riding has kind of opened up our, our eyes to um, this phenomenon of what you get with lower tire pressures. And every every mountain biker is going to tell you how important tire pressure is, even if they have suspension like frame suspension on their bike, they're still dialing in their pressure to less than a psi to get that just perfect. So really, it, it's, it's funny to hear you mention that because we definitely are taking what mountain bikers already know really, really well, just intuitively, and we're applying it to road bikes. What about the aerodynamic thing? Because again, you know, Zip has always been known for aerodynamic performance. And, you know, for so long, people have kind of had this idea it's like, oh, you want to get narrow, minimize your frontal profile, so on and so forth. And now, you know, you have this wheel, which again, I mean, you are pegging it sort of like this, the, the kind of do everything, all purpose, high performance road wheel. Um, but aerodynamics is still an important thing. And, you know, with this wheel set, you've gone a little bit shallower from 45 to 40 millimeter now. And uh, the external width is still basically the same. But now the recommended tire is basically the same width as the, the maximum rim, sec, uh, rim section. Whereas before, you know, when people wanted to go fast, they're like, oh, I'm going to run a 25 on like a 28 mil rim, so on and so forth. How do you, how does that work out now? Yeah, so 
what we really uh, went deep in with this project for the new 3-3 Firecrest is a concept we call total system efficiency. And it's the idea that no single aspect of a wheel like aerodynamics is going to determine what the overall speed is that you can achieve with that with that wheel. So depending on the scenario that you're using the wheel, it's going to determine what you need to focus on to go fast and maximize your efficiency. So um, if you're talking about a wooden velodrome, absolutely, you're going to want to focus on aerodynamics, minimizing your frontal area, improving your form shape. Um, rolling resistance is a small part of that, but when you, you consider a vibration loss, it's really minimal. Um, and inertia also is really minor, minimal with um, individual races like the, the Pursuit. And then you go to mountain biking, and it's the exact opposite. You're going much slower, and the surface is way rougher. So aerodynamics is much less important, and vibration loss is the overwhelming uh, type of loss that you want to overcome. So with this product, we really took a look at balancing all of those different factors and figuring out what the right balance of tire pressure and aero um, is, is required to optimize the entire system. Now, that's not to say that we didn't focus on aerodynamics. If, if you look at the, the new 303 Firecrest, we actually improved the CDA over our old um, our old 303, and we did that by refining the interface between the rim and the tire. So you can you can refine the rim shape all you want, but if it doesn't mate well with the tire, you're going to screw up the, the airflow, and you're not going to achieve optimal aerodynamics. So we did attack every aspect that improves efficiency on the wheel. But what we're opening our minds up to is the idea that sometimes you have to. Um, ditch the optimum in one focused area to achieve the optimum in the whole system. Yeah, I think I think this is really important to highlight, right? And that comes back to one of the points you had earlier, James, about uh, people, you know, maybe not fully realizing or understanding why we're going for such a wide profile and, and pushing bigger tires now. Uh, we've been pushing a message that was solely focused on aerodynamics for a long time. And and um, and like Dave was mentioning, uh, looking at um, uh, rolling resistance and, and damping of all the vibrations really opened our minds. And we realized that sometimes it's okay to give up a little bit in one area if it means that you're gaining a lot more in another area. And that's really the principle behind system efficiency. And for sure, a 28 millimeter tire is going to be larger. It's going to have a wider frontal surface than a 23 millimeter tire. So it's going to be a little less aero. But because it's optimized to work with this rim profile, the overall aero is really fast. And then there's so much more that you gain in rolling resist efficiency and, uh, and vibration damping that at the end, that's how we're making such a gigantic leap in terms of speed. David, I'm glad you uh, you brought up the you know the the tire and rim interface. It's almost like you're reading my script in front of me here because that it kind of leads into another thing I want to ask you about is you know because the way that you are able to get that nice smooth interface between or that nice smooth transition I should say between the tire and rim uh, you know, is now you're running a hookless profile on this rim as opposed to having a traditional hook on on the rim that kind of you know to kind of grab onto the tire bead. So as a result of that, I mean there are some uh, I guess some qualifiers, I should say, that are attached to these new wheels that uh, that people, again, may have a little bit of a harder time, you know, kind of dealing with a little bit. And one is the fact that um, not only is this wheel set tubeless compatible, you're actually requiring that people run tubeless or at least tubeless ready tires on this wheel set. Uh, you know, they can run a tube if they want to. I mean, at that point, I'm not really, not really sure why you would. Um, but... Uh, 
you know, how did you make the decision to go hookless when it comes with that requirement then? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll start the answer and then I think Bastian can finish up for me. But um, essentially, it, we realized very early on in, the, in this 303 Firecoast project that by going to hookless, we can make a much better wheel overall. And really, it checks all the boxes for us. Um, so the fact that, that you have to run a tubeless tire and you're limited to 72.5 PSI, really, the, the benefit of having those two small restrictions is you get a way better ride experience and you're going to go a lot faster. Um, so... Um, it, essentially, going hookless allows us to achieve uh, more, b- better aerodynamics, lighter weight, better rolling efficiency, um, better user interface for the tubeless setup. There's just a whole host of benefits that come with this um, hookless tire bed profile that we just couldn't we couldn't put down. And I guess I should point out too, um, you know, when you say that there are you know, all these other benefits to going with that hookless profile. I mean, you took you know, like, like almost 150 grams out of each rim, which is a lot considering that, you know, the wheel was already pretty light to begin with. And then uh, I should also point out that these wheels also got a fair bit cheaper than they were before. I mean, so I don't really know how, you can't argue with either of those three things for sure. But um, with that 72 and a half PSI maximum pressure though, there are still going to be a lot of people out there. I mean, th- this this wheel set has a maximum recommended rider weight of uh, 110 kilos, I think, which is you know 250 pounds or so. And you know, when you tell a lot of those people that you now are supposed to run a 28 millimeter, again printed with tire, at no more than 72 and a half psi, their heads are going to explode because, I mean, especially you know, David, you're in the Midwest. Um, you know, the the roads are not very good. And a lot of those riders are used to running a little bit more pressure. I mean, even if they know that it's slower, they're running. They're used to used to running a little bit more pressure, if only to prevent rim damage and to prevent pinch flats, which is still a thing on tubeless tires. It's hard to do, but it's still possible. What do you say to those people? So there's there's a there's a few parts in your question, right, James? And uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer one by one. The the thing that I really want to emphasize on hookless rim first before going on to the uh, the low tire uh, the low pressure limits. Um, Hookless, just like Dave said, is just a better rim, and uh, it's nearly. um, I mean, when I see a lot of the comments out there uh, of people thinking that hookless is just a way for manufacturers to cut corners and play with safety of people. Uh, to me, I just want to say that that's not just true. The wheel is just better because of hookless, because uh, we are using um, a better tool. We have better control to form uh, the molds. And as they've said, you know, the hookless is just a way to make a rim that's it's just as strong. It's lighter. Uh, it's um, it's faster. Uh, it's more affordable. I mean, and you can see that in the in us diminishing the price on both three or three firecrest and three or three s. And uh, and it's also better for the environment because we can reuse the tool instead of uh, tossing them away every time. So it's just a better rim all over. The fact that uh, we have a low pressure limit is actually nothing to do with hookless at all. And something that we checked, you know, uh, before is that the the tire burst pressure in our lab. So the limit at which the tire comes off of the rim uh, because of too high pressure. In our case, for zip rims, is just about the same on hookless profile as what it was on the previous generation 303 rims with hooks. 
So at the end of the day, you know, when you put a, a tubeless tire that has the strong tubeless beads in there, uh, tire retention is just the same. So it's no less safer to run a hookless rim uh, from Zip than it was to run a, a hooked rim from Zip. The, the, the 72 PSI is actually imposed by us by uh, international norms and committees. Uh, so we follow this because that's what the norm is, but actually our burst pressure are significantly higher than this. Now, what's important, uh, what's important here is we are really not recommending people to run higher pressure than 72, just because of uh, what Dave explained earlier, because of tubeless and because of the wide rim profile, uh, you have to run much lower tire pressure than you would uh, uh, usually. Otherwise, the tire would feel super harsh and the ride experience would be terrible. And then to answer your question, you know, about like um, um, uh, people of larger size uh, that don't believe they can run like a really, really low pressure, uh, suffice to say that uh, we run a lot of testing, right? And some of our test riders are at that weight limit with Preconis uh, we, 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 we recommend or slightly above. Uh, we've been running tests, you know, above what we recommend. And uh, uh, those people have reported to us that they don't even use the maximum allowable pressure in the rims just because they prefer the right feel of, uh, of lower tire pressure. The wide rim really supports the tire better. Uh, you're not going to feel any squirm. You're not going to pinch flat your rim. It's, uh, it's a completely different feel. You have all of the support you need, uh, uh, except just faster. So is it kind of a situation where, you know, even if someone has a hard time believing it, it's sort of like, you know, all you have to do is try it? Because that's kind of what my experience has been. Absolutely. So um, when we first started getting prototypes of this wheel out, uh, even among the engineering team and uh, some of the, the team members within Indianapolis, um, we're telling them what pressures we think they should run. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start at 80 PSI. And then, you know, they, they bleed down five PSI at a time until they're like, oh, that felt a little bit better. I'm going to go five less PSI. And then they're down at 55 PSI and bragging about it. Like, you really have to try it to understand and to, and to feel it for yourself. There are a lot of questions right now with tubeless on the road as far as the lack of an international standard for tires and rims and that sort of thing. And... Um, you know, we've we've been talking to a whole bunch of people about this. There are obviously a whole lot of questions, and there are still a whole lot of people out there who are, you know, anecdotally reporting that like, oh, I'm running this combo with this wheel, and this one was impossible to get on. This one was really easy to get on, so and so forth. So there's still a lot of variation out there. You know, the price has dropped a lot on these wheels, uh, which is great. They're still not cheap, uh, but how, you know, for people who are rightfully concerned with where tubeless is going on the road. And given that there are a lot of discussions going on behind the scenes with, you know, kind of a, a proposed international standard, so to speak, um, you know, how can someone have the confidence that even if this system works really well, you know, like Zip, Zip isn't putting out a list of compatible tires, for example, um, you know, how can someone who is buying anything tubeless right now, especially something that has to be run tubeless, how do they know that this is going to be good to go in the years to come? That's a that's a one million dollar question, and this is absolutely something that we've uh, we've discussed for so long, and and we've tested so much, you know, in order to ensure the safety of our of our customers. So 
It is completely true that currently the situation for tubeless on the roads is uh, very murky. Um, currently in the published ISO and ETRTO norms uh, out there, there is just no recommendation for tubeless on the roads. Uh, so basically, like uh, all manufacturers that want to create uh, a tubeless setup for roads have to come up with their own solutions and, and, and push things. So right now, uh, it's, it's a little murky. The good news is that uh, for quite a long time, actually, like close to two years, if I recall, um, the ISO committee has put together uh, a list of people and ZIP has been involved from the beginning in those discussions. Uh, so we're working alongside other rim and tire manufacturers in order to determine what the next generation of norm is going to be. So we have representative in that, uh, in that system. And I think at this point, uh, what ISO, what the next generation of ISO means for RIMS is pretty well understood. Uh, right now we're going through the final revision of the drawing and, and uh, agreeing among ourselves. So it's really the time where every manufacturer comes back and adds or subtracts and, and, and so on before it goes into the final voting, voting phase. Uh, so, it's, it's pretty clear what the norm is going to be, and, and we're really happy to say that all ZIP rims, uh, past and moving forwards, are going to be 100% compliant with that new norm. So, so that's, uh, that's really a thing, you know, that should be uh, reassuring to all of our customers is that we're not going to be outside of the norm. And really, that's also one of the reasons why we, we, we decided to, to not publish a list of tires because, uh, you know, those tires evolve so much um, that at the end of the day, we prefer to spend our energy uh, developing the norm and clarifying the situation because we think that's better for the industry and better for the customers long time. The one question that remains um, is uh, that of tire size that's uh, compatible uh, by, uh, by rim width. And, uh, and right now, you know, there's still a pretty traditional view out there that uh, rims need to be very narrow uh, in order to accommodate tire size. Uh, all of the testing and findings that we did throughout the projects that led us to this total system efficiency is, is, is categorical, is 100% clear that in order to be faster, you need a wider rim. And again, that's something mountain bikers know because about five years ago, we went through the same thing. You know, rims went from 19 or 21 millimeter inside to 30 millimeter on the mountain bike. And there's so much benefits, you know, uh, so many benefits coming from that. It's the same on the road. So I think right now people still think they need a narrow rim to, to fit tires. Uh, we really want to say, no, please let us use wider rim for standard tire size. 25 millimeter uh, internal width on the rim is ideal for a 28C tire. Uh, and that's how you're going to get faster. So this is what we're pushing for at the moment. Well, I will say that uh, I've been on wider rims and tires for, for quite a while, even just on straight road riding. And uh, I think I've made it pretty clear in the stuff that I've written that I'm I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of the concept because it does it it does just work better and you know provided people's current frames and and forks can can fit that wider setup I think it, it's pretty eye opening what happens when you switch to that um, at least as far as I'm concerned everyone on this uh, who is in this conversation right now it's pretty clear that there are a lot of performance benefits it's uh it's I, I couldn't agree more and and I think the the idea is starting to really develop. We're talking to a lot of bicycle manufacturers, of course, and uh, and it's really uh, super um, exciting to see that tire clearance on on the new generation of road frames is increasing significantly, and uh, and when you see you know like tires in the past or frame in the past that were just enough tire clearance.
tolerance to accommodate 28, you know, by the skin of your teeth. Uh, you can get frames now that are light, aerodynamics, uh, super attractive and good looking that have clearance for 35, 36, 38 millimeter tires. And, and that's a super exciting trend in my opinion. Well, let's uh, let's all give credit to disc brakes here. And, you know, so, sorry, hashtag save the rim brake crowd. This is, there, there's, there's no option for you here. <laughs> All right, guys, with that, I want to thank you very much for your time. That was super educational and informative. And uh, like I said, this was not meant to be sort of a, a, a zip love fest, <laughs> uh, love fest. And you know, this is definitely not any sort of like, you know, paid podcast or anything. But uh, wider rims and tires for the win. They do work better. So if you're out there listening, give them a shot. Thanks again, David. Thanks, Pastor. Thanks a lot, James. Thank you. All right, so it is pretty much impossible to look at what Roval has done here and then look at what Zip has put out there and, you know, the conversation that I had with Bastion and David. You you can't possibly take in all that and see some sort of, you know, the the, the Venn diagram There's a, of these philosophies here, there's there's not a ton of overlap. I mean, it's like like tangential contact here in some ways. Um Zach, I kind of want to get your take on this in particular, just because you know you're a pro mechanic, you've dealt with a lot of this stuff, you've built a lot of wheels. What are your thoughts? Does is there any way that these two things can kind of make sense? I mean, I do like their argument against tubeless uh, for the weight increase. I think is valid. Like for a tubeless wheel, and you put a tubeless tire on a tubeless wheel, and it loses so much spoke tension. Yeah, so I think that there's something to be said about having a lighter wheel as a whole compared to a heavier wheel that isn't going to lose a bunch of spoke tension. I mean, so yeah, basically you're saying that the, the, the Roval argument that they would have to add more material. Yeah. Kind of makes sense because you've seen that. I mean, yeah, you've, yeah. You, you've seen like super light rims and then you throw a tubeless tire on with a bead that does not stretch. And then you put a bunch of pressure in it and, and then the wheel either goes out of true or it loses a bunch of tension. Um, which I applaud both Roval and zip on their new wheels for having external nipples so that you can, adjust the spokes after after installing said tire um not everyone seems to do that um we won't throw anybody under the bus but there's a couple brands out there that make mechanics want to throw their yeah wheels against a wall yeah Yeah. i think like the whole like the weight side of things i've always kind of wondered about what is faster which is i've always well i guess to back up i guess i would say road tubeless i would definitely like the marketing is always as one one trajectory but i would always say that it needs to be split up like there's what the average person uses and then there's what the professional athletes use and when road tubeless came out 10 12 years ago or something like the whole marketing spin was you're not going to get flats because you have sealant and that didn't catch on and now like what two years ago road road tubeless started to be prominent again and then they changed the spin and it's no longer about flats it's about rolling resistance and that my thing that i've always wondered that no one seems to have tested or talked about is if you take a let's say a zip 303 not the new ones because you couldn't do this test but uh, like a wheel that they make an exact wheel and a tubular and a tubeless and the same tire like a vittoria corsa or something that is made in both like the tubular is still going to be two or three hundred grams lighter as a whole like do saving those five watts of rolling resistance is that still faster than having that much lighter wheel Probably all depends on where you're riding. Yeah, like yeah. in a Ardennes yeah. or something where it's punchy uphill, the weight's probably for sure going to make more of a, a difference, I would think. Yeah, I mean, we've seen things like that. Uh, the the thing that comes to mind is is 
Ineos's use of use of lightweights at the Tour de France last year, which we discussed at the time, and you know, from a numbers perspective, really doesn't make a ton of sense until you consider the fact that you know, at something like the Tour de France, at the at the very highest levels of the sport, the the brief moments that really matter do tend to happen on these very very steep sections of road and involve acceleration and all these other things that where maybe you know maybe three quarters of a pound in in wheel weight is going to make a difference yeah so so i i I think it's a tricky it's a tricky thing because you know like that that really really does not matter to me right and to you and to any most of our listeners here but to the professional athlete maybe something different so it's interesting that the marketing is sort of bouncing back and forth here between things that really should matter to us and things that maybe don't really yeah, so uh, that's actually something we discussed in a previous podcast, uh, the obsession of weight. Um, we had a podcast devoted to that, and Nathan Barry, who's a top engineer with uh, with Cannondale and works with the EF uh, EF racing team, um, he, he basically spoke about what you're speaking about, Kaylee, which is like the pinnacle moment for an athlete. So, you know, you optimize around where the race is going to be won or lost. Um, and, you know, for, for the true climbers, you know, trying to, make an attack on the Pyrenees, then then weight absolutely does play a factor. But outside of that, then it's kind of uh, it's a negligible element of the of the package and rolling resistance and aerodynamics are, uh, are going to win in every other situation is basically what Nathan was saying. Well, I will find interesting to see what when racing does eventually happen. Will Quickstep and Bora be riding these new wheels with clinchers and latex tubes or will they be riding the old wheels with tubulars? I think we all know the answer to that question yeah. because, you know, we've all been to these races and we know what the, th- what the scenes look like there. And I-, I am willing to say with a quite a high degree confidence that all of these teams are going to be back on their tubulars, which is, really I can add to that because they, well, they were, they were, they had switched to tubeless like almost entirely last year at the Tour de France. Yeah. I can on add Reval to that without wheels. speculation. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I have been told by Roval that the teams will be on tubular uh, and that while they do believe in the tubular system for its ability to self-heal punctures and for reduced rolling resistance, they didn't like the system weight. I guess like with these new wheels, there's so much more aero supposedly. Will they make a team-only tubular version of that or will they just accept riding the old wheels? I would imagine so. They must, yeah. It, it seems kind of insane that if they're going to go to the trouble... If they're going to go to the trouble of making a team-only tubular version, which is not inexpensive in any way to, 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 to design a new tubular carbon wheel and you know cut molds and all that stuff, um, it, it doesn't seem to make any sense to me that they would go through that kind of trouble to make that for the team, but yet their reasoning behind not offering this wheel in tubeless, which they had previously said offers so much performance advantages, you know, for them to not offer a tubeless version that maybe is lighter or heavier, depending on, you know, who, who, you know, who it's for, like, it doesn't seem like it'd be that much of a stretch for them to just make the wheel a little bit heavier if it better suits everyday riders who might supposedly benefit from that technology. Like, I'm just kind of having a hard time wrapping my head around it because it just still just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And one thing that, one thing that did come to mind also is, you know, the zip guys mentioned that, you know, we, there have been all these discussions about this, this upcoming ISO international road tubeless standard supposedly, and that the 303 is, it will be supposedly compliant if 
things continue to move forward as they have been in these kind of behind the uh, behind closed door industry meetings. And, you know, from my understanding, Roval has been in these meetings. So in theory, they should be compliant as well. I mean, wheels take a while to develop. It's not like these things just, you know, came about last week or something as far as, you know, when they decided to develop them. So, I mean, it seems to me like, I, I mean, I, I obviously can't condone or suggest that anyone do this, but it sure seems to me like if you were to take in one of these new Roval wheels, just get, based on how they look and stuck a road tubeless tire on it, it would probably seal up just fine. I can test that. <laughs> we'll, we'll stick. I Dave might not be willing to ride it, but I can <laughs> test it and yeah. I can see what happens to the spoke tension. <laughs> we'll stick yeah. Dave Rome on that particular test. I think that's a great idea. I guess like if these wheels are so much faster and more aero, but they're not actually fast enough that the pros won't ride them, who are they for? Mm. <laughs> I think I, I think this is where we insert insert the crickets audio file. <laughs> um, one thing I chirp, would chirp, like to bring chirp, up chirp. though about these wheels that applies to both of these new wheels is there seems to be this newfound focus on stability and and real world application because that was one of the big big elements of the new Rovell wheels, um, at least with the repeat the the aero wheel, was that. The shape on the front wheel is is shallower and also wider than what they're using on the rear. And the whole reasoning around that was that they claim they have done extensive wind tunnel and outdoor testing. And they found that people actually, when they, they get hit by a gust with a deep wheel, they um they react after the fact. And it um, sort of throws off their balance and it, it affects speed. So Ravel's testing shows that a, a wheel that's more stable is the faster option. Um, and it seems Zip have gone a very similar path on that with uh, making their rim shallower. Um, I mean, yeah, take? like well, that that goes all the way back to like the NV Smart system. That's the first time when they released the was it the six point five or something like that. I think that was the first one. The something point something. Yeah, and, and it was and it was a shallower, wider front rim and a deeper, narrower rear rim both of which were designed to deal with sort of gusts. Uh, the way it was explained to me at the launch at the time, I think was, you know, they did a lot of testing in, in the UK where you're sort of riding with hedges on both sides and you sort of riding along with a hedge and then there's a driveway and then all of a sudden there's like 10 feet of wind and then you're behind a hedge again and it knocks your bike over, right? And they did, they you know, they were, they were trying to design a wheel that for that sort of gusty wind would be the most stable but yeah i mean that goes back god that's that that would have been eight seven eight years ago now so mm -hmm. it's definitely it's sort of spread throughout the entire bike industry at this point but it's it's certainly nothing nothing new uh, i like it for sure i mean it's, it's as somebody who's ridden a lot of deep wheels in a very windy place here in colorado particularly in the springtime uh you know i've been blown off roads before so i i appreciate any effort to make a, a a deep section of wheel more yeah. more stable it's, it's not new but it seems like there's a renewed focus on it and perhaps i mean this is pure speculation but perhaps a renewed focus on it to the point that they're they're actively giving up aerodynamic gains in order to improve bike handling well yeah i, I think i think we've kind of been heading in this direction for quite a while now because you know like zip had that you know the 404 or sorry the 454 nsw and you know the whale wheels we don't need a sound oh, effect Kaylee. we have kaylee 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 that's that's quite impressive I, actually just um, call me well mr humpback <laughs> anyway point i wanted to raise is that when zip came out with those wheels they 
you know, that wheel was all about stability and had, uh, I mean, they had said flat out, they told me that that wheel really wasn't any faster as far as like, you know, a wind tunnel result sort of thing as compared to some of the other wheels that they already had at the time. So, you know, we've been kind of playing the stability game for a while. And I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that aero wheels have gotten really, really, really good. And we are no longer hearing these kind of grand clams of like, oh, you can save, you know, you can save 90 minutes in a 60 minute time trial. <laughs> wait, 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 what? Oh. You know, like we're just not hearing these, these big aero clams anymore. So it does seem like, you know, companies now are trying to go after other things since they've kind of reached that limit as far as how fast the things can be. How, I might be going, taking us down a rabbit hole here, but how much of this do you believe is marketing where the market, the likes of Zip and Revell and all these companies that innovated and created these faster wheels and, and learned the profiles that were fastest um, have now the market's been saturated by all these copy products that just borrow the exact same shape and now everything's neutralized and they're now having to find new areas to put their products into. Well, um, I mean, that that's something that I, that I, well, actually I can't remember if I brought it up with the, with the zip guys. Um, but one of the questions that I had in my notes when I was talking to them was that, you know, back in the day when rim brakes were the norm, you could say that these, companies, these bigger companies that had more engineering dollars and more research and development, whatever, that they that there were reasons to go with those brands because those wheels were less likely to explode when they got hot. Because that less technology cost quite a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, but 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 now like if you can just copy yeah. But now if you can just copy someone's profile, someone's cross section you know, rim profile, and then just say like, you know, hey, we have the same aero performance as, you know, big name wheel, but we sell it to you for a third or a half of the price. You know, when you take the rim heat out of the equation, the the reasons for going with that big name are a lot fewer in number. And mm -hmm. like those arguments aren't nearly as strong. I mean, to circle yeah, so it back, make it, you could say like our hookless rim bed is better and not going to blow a tire off like these yeah. cheaper ones. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which is that still a, a, a definite feature. concern. Yeah, I mean, I I would be, you know, five years ago we were all concerned about sort of knockoff rims and heat management, and I think now we're all concerned with knockoff rims and tubeless compatibility. Although I'm kind of concerned we're, about all rims and tubeless compatibility, so maybe that's not really. <laughs> which is kind of amazing, seeing as how you know, clincher wheels and tires have been around for God knows how long at this point, and we are still having this concerned debate about whether or not our tires are going to stay on the rim. Like it's, that seems completely ludicrous. It's it kind of amazing. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, like working on really old road bikes with steel single wall rims that were mm -hmm. hookless. And yeah, like, Oh, be careful. The tire is going to blow off the rim. If you go over like three PSI over the max, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you just, you or, just close your you eyes while you inflate it with the compressor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or if you're at half of the maximum PSI and you don't have it quite seated right yeah. in one spot and it just starts to kind of walk off the rim and then kapow! <laughs> yep. Yeah. Only now they're sealing everywhere yeah. when it goes kapow. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I think we've we talked about this before, but really the bike industry should just let us decide and we'll just, we'll just give them a number. We'll give them a diameter and be like, yo, this is how big your rims need to be. We can pick a number. What's the number? Rome, what's the number? Six, it definitely six, needs to be a something two, point nine nine. Something. Six hundred and what's the what's the like approximate? Uh, six twenty two. Six twenty two. Six two two is the current standard. Yeah. 
Okay. Let's do six two one point nine nine. Yep. Six two one point nine nine is what all rims and tires must be henceforth. Sounds expensive. Andy Van Bergen, we need another round of limited edition T-shirts. <laughs> that say that have nothing on them but the Cycling Tips logo and six two one point nine nine, and that's it. Point nine eight. I feel nine, like point nine. Well, I was going nine nine and and like in honor of Dub. I, I, I think point nine eight is more trustworthy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Six six two one point nine eight. It's very very trustworthy okay. number. Okay, yeah, done. Andy, please 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 get on that. I'd I'd love to have the T shirt. Medium, please. And if any uh, tire or wheel brands are are confused as to how big they should make their tires or wheels, uh, we're happy to send you that number in an email, and then you can you can make your wheels and tires that size. Or or actually even better, we'll license it to you for a nominal fee. Yes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, six twenty-two yes. is just so open-ended. Like you could go point whatever in either direction. This it's, is much it's more very specific. True. It's very true. Yeah, I think we've just solved well, it. Well, technically speaking, you, there there is a, a firm firm you know plus or minus deviation assigned to that number. But either way, regardless, I think the only conclusion that we can draw on all this right now is that you know regardless of what anyone says, Revolve, Zip, you know Bontrager, whoever. Uh, it seems still pretty clear that at least from the consumer side of things, things are very much still in flux. And um, that would worry me it, if I were a general consumer buying something right now. Is the official position of the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast that you should still not run tubeless road tires under 30 or 32 millimeters? I'm, I'm yes, with that. Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, I would say, unless you, ha- for me at least personally, I would say, unless you have extenuating circumstances that really would, uh, w- where you'd really benefit from a tubeless setup, like you know, I think we've mentioned before, like you know, if you live in Arizona or someplace that has a ton of goat heads on the roads, or you have somewhere that has, you know, a ton of little shards of glass, that sort of thing, um, then it seems like most people would still be better off with, uh, you know, a nice tire and a latex a nice clincher tire and a latex tube um but you know it seems like if more companies follow the lead of zip that is going to be less and less of an option because uh well i I guess i should clarify that because i mean zip says that you can put a tube in if you want to but it still has to be a tubeless or at least tubeless ready tire so Mm. does zip do you know do they have a specific list of approved tires like Envy and their hookless rims? Nope. Nope. Any? They most definitely not do not have a list of specific tires, nor do they plan on releasing one, uh, which I find very interesting. Um, seems, so, seems bold. I mean, and, and you would think if anyone is going to be very kind of like, you know, litigation averse, <clears throat> it's going to be a company the size of SRAM and in particular one that is US based. Um, so the fact that they are not releasing a list of compatible tires is, I mean, they clearly have a lot of confidence in their system. So not to make this podcast longer than one of my chain articles, but um, (laughs) so the whole reason why they make that tubeless stipulation is because the tire itself doesn't stretch. And therefore, you know, when they don't have a hook on the rim, the tire can't then stretch over the, the circumference of the rim. Do we think that tire manufacturers are going to take note of this new design and actually make tubeless tires designed for tubes? I don't think so. I mean, how big is the market for you know Zip three or three S or Z or three or three Firecraft That's, wheels? I really? don't like I mean, this question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. So we're we're in Boulder, so you know the the, the market market penetration is going to be like you know fifty percent or something. But um, but in the in, you know in the general cycling population, it's going to be what like one out of one out of a thousand road riders or something like that. But but 
in any in any case, I mean, either way, it's just seem, it just seems like still this whole situation is in a lot of flux, and mm-hmm. it it's still kind of you know it, it's it's not comforting. Hashtag six twenty one point nine eight. Okay. Get on the get on the bandwagon. <laughs> it will be interesting to see how many people are turned off by the zip wheel. Like used to, used to be, everyone aspires to have zips, and you can put them on any bike with tubes or tubeless or whatever. And now it's very limited with who can run these and what tires you can run. It'll be interesting to see what well, happens there. It, it, it is. And, you know, I, I guess we're just going to continue this conversation a little bit longer still. Oh, yeah, but sorry. <laughs> I will say that as, as someone who as someone who has spent an awful lot of time on that NV 4.5 AR disc, which, you know, which on paper is quite similar to these 303s, you know, they're 25 mil wide internally, hookless, carbon, arrow, so on and so forth. Um that it that's still my my favorite road wheel. I mean, it's not necessarily the lightest, but it's you know wicked fast, and the tire rides really really well. You put a good twenty eight mil tubeless tire on there, it measures close to like thirty and a half, thirty one almost even depending on the tire, and it is amazing. Like you can just do pretty much anything at least around here on that wheel and tire setup, and it's absolutely fantastic. So personally, you know, I'm at least pretty excited about that zip thing, uh, that the zip through a three development, but like I said, I mean, it's still just this whole thing makes me question what is appropriate to run. And right now, I can't really say that I have the answer to that. Mm-mm. So speaking of not having answers to things <laughs> yep. Next topic. or having or ha- or having answers to things, I guess we're going to I guess we're going to find out. <clears throat> I think we should move on. I think we should this this the I think the the safe conclusion that we can draw from this wheel and car, uh, from this wheel and tire conversation is that. Uh, something is amiss and we don't necessarily know exactly what it is, but let's just leave that there and let's move on to the ask a mechanic segment because we have a lot of questions today and a lot of them are really good and I think we should dive into that. So are we ready? ready. I'm so ready. I'm going to answer all of them correctly. Yep. Oh, oh, someone, someone <laughs> turn off Kaylee's mic. Turn off, turn off Kaylee's mic. Zach, just go ahead and unplug that. All right. We're going to start with Velo Club member Chris Young, who says, uh, and I actually know what bike he's talking about here. He has a Cervelo Aspero, and he switches his wheels and pedals at least once a week, he says, between gravel and road setups. Is there any risk of causing damage or extra wear in doing that? And this is a particularly interesting question because we are seeing this rise of kind of quiver killer drop bar bikes that are hitting the market, like, you know, that 3T Explorer Race Max is an example that just dropped a few days ago. And I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to be in the situation that Chris is in. And uh, it seems like a good question to answer here. Zach, what do you think? I mean, I feel like Kaylee could even answer this one. He swaps wheels all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'd say, I guess, as long as you're not cross-threading things, that I don't see how you're going to damage things. Yeah, I I mean, in my extensive experience changing wheels and pedals and things, I would agree. Yeah, unless you're like (laughs) taking the pedal or the through axle out and throwing it on the ground and it gets like dirt and grit on it and then you just shove it back in, maybe that's not the best. Not ideal. You'll be all right. I mean, they are aluminum threads in the crank, but I mean, it seems like as long as you are not over-tightening the pedals, that it'll probably be okay although that being said i mean on that specific bike you should replace the dropouts too like if absolute worst case scenario yeah like up front at least anyway um yeah actually can you i think you can replace the threads in the back too i think the threads are part of the hanger yeah um so there's not really much of a risk there i don't think you would really have to worry at all about you know dropout wear from putting the wheel in and out like that that doesn't really happen um so i would say the only real concern would be would be the pedals and then you know if you're running a, a 
Actually, I'm, I, I'm pretty certain he's running a SRAM setup. So, I mean, those cranks are designed to be run with pedal washers. So I would say to, you know, just keep running the pedal washers. And then, Chris, I think you'd be all good. So, so far, just, just keep on going with that thing. Just oh. go ahead and swap away. Or, or just go ahead and run some really nice cross-country mountain bike shoes and be done with it. Yeah. Because it's not I feel really like that's, that different. Yeah. I feel like they have a lot of customers that have or aspire to have this quiver killer one bike with multiple wheel sets and they end up just running one wheel set all the time because can't be bothered to swap wheels around every yeah. ride. My wife's yep. bike is kind of like that. Yep. And like, we'll, we'll, we'll switch the wheels maybe like once a month. Like if, if we're doing a very particular ride, you know, cause she's got a 650 by like 45 setup and then a 700 by like 30 or 32 setup. And so, you know, if, if we're going to go climbing all day, then we'll put the 700s on. And if it's going to be a big, long day on gravel, then we'll put the 650s on. But, you know, for the vast majority of rides, she could really run either of those setups. And so it just doesn't end up changing all that often. Yeah. yeah. And she ends up running. Well, she's actually started, just started running her mountain bike pedals. Her, her, she runs Crank Brothers and she just runs those all the time. She's gotten used to them enough that, that it doesn't bother her on the road. Yep, it's just easier. Yeah. Uh, related question from Eric Harvey. Uh, can you guys discuss the best way to deal with multiple wheels on different hubs and rotor spacing? Ooh. Has anyone played around with shims for center lock hubs? Um, actually, I'm going to go ahead and take this one Do because it. I've done this a fair bit. Um, there have been you know little micro shims available for six bolt disc rotors for quite a while, and more recently there are now shims available to, uh, to so that to let you shim center lock rotors so that you can space the rotors to be exactly the same position. Um, and the way I would recommend doing that is, you know, you take your two wheels, put them, put them into the frame one by one, and you figure out which one has the rotor that uh, sits a little bit more inboard and sits a little bit more outboard. And then you basically set it up, set the bike up so that the wheel is, or the brake is aligned with the rotor that sits a little bit more outboard. And then you shim the other wheel to match. And then at that point, as long as there's nothing funky going on with your dropouts or wheels or anything, you should be able to just pop them in and out and have them perfectly line up. That is one thing that has, has made us switch the wheels on, on my wife's bike a little more often as I finally went and did that and got everything set up. So it's a direct swap, you know, same, same cassette rotors are silent with both, both wheel setups. And that means that, you know, she, she can just go out and, and swap the wheels when she is doing some particular ride and, I would say it's probably doubled the frequency or more of her swapping the wheels out because before it would always re required a front, particularly front caliper adjustment. And the, I just don't ever want to do that, particularly on flat mount calipers. So, nope. so we just never nope. did. It makes a huge difference. It's, yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, you spend a half an hour futzing with this stuff and all of a sudden, you know, the quiver killer that you spent thousands of dollars on is actually a quiver killer, which is pretty cool. Highly recommended. Speaking of flat mount, I just want to warn everyone here right now that uh, I am hell bent on having an episode where we all talk about the things that we hate. <laughs> Perfect. So Zach, Zach, Kaylee, Dave, start racking yeah, your brains about bike tech things that you hate. We hate because, so many things. Uh, I I I do like that I have um, Allen keys specifically for adjusting flat mount calipers. Yes, of course you do. Yes, <laughs> I actually like that part. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. No. Anyway, that is just a little, a little, uh, little teaser for an episode to come. But anyway, <laughs> I can't related wait question. Episode. We should just scrap this whole mm -hmm. episode. And go straight to that. Let's just do it. <laughs> just go straight. Let's go straight to the hate. Just go straight to the hate. I feel like a lot of companies right. might be upset. <laughs> uh, well, well, yes, I, we'll have a I, I dare say names that. out of it. Yeah, 
No, no, can't leave names. No, because because we're about we're about to name we're about to name names uh, on a later question here. Oh, so yeah, don't you worry about Let's that. Let's do it. Um, so, uh, question from Medium Rick related to disc brakes. He has Shimano GRX hydraulic disc brakes, and he has tried realignment uh, and the business card trick, and they still rub. Uh, I guess assuming that he has aligned those calibers as well as they can possibly be aligned. This sounds to me like a possible frame and fork tab alignment issue. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd say if he's done everything else by the book and tried lining it up in various ways and still can't get it to not rub, then it might be time to take it take it to your capable local bike shop that has the necessary tools to, to make sure everything's lined up properly and uh, shave things down if needed. And I guess capable bike shop would be the the, the key the word, key word yeah. here because we are talking about milling material off of your frame and fork which are potentially carbon fiber um so yeah i mean rick if you have done everything already and the, you are confident that they just cannot run without rubbing then yep fi find a good shop in your area that has the tools um there are a handful of companies that make those tools and they're all expensive so whatever shop has this is probably gonna be pretty invested in, in pretty interested in, in getting that done right but give them a call is it possible so i'm thinking back to some of the times when i've run into this particular problem and um is it possible he's running into like sticky pistons or something as well i mean that that i remember that being an issue on particularly on older mountain bike brakes i haven't seen it quite as much lately zach do you see that i in, mean like, the latest stuff it can happen but if he has grx that stuff's not that old so i can't imagine that's that he's ridden grx enough already that his pistons need some love there you go seems unlikely yeah so, so but if you got an older setup that could be the issue all right speaking of naming names this one's going to be ugly oh man <laughs> velo club member alonso lick is asking he is thinking about getting a new trek madone sl7 later mm -hmm. this year but he hears a lot of ranting and sadness about BB90 bottom brackets. Are they really that bad? And what would be his options besides choosing another bike? Define really that bad. <laughs> Depends on right. the meaning of the word. I'm gonna go ahead. And, I'm gonna go ahead and dive in here. I mean, I feel I like you could have, have worse bottom brackets than BB90. <laughs> <laughs> let's go into the. Well, first, let's explain what BB90 is for people who don't know what that is. Uh, this is a system that Trek introduced in like 2010 or something like that, where the bearings press directly into carbon seats that are molded right into the frame. So there's no no metal cups at all. The bearing goes right into the frame, and um, you know they're they're widely spaced and you know there are fewer parts. And in theory, on paper, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but the problem is like you can't, it, it's hard to mold a carbon fiber interface so that the, the fit is totally, totally perfect. And if you are going through a lot of bearings, like if you live in a wet environment and you know it's pretty much impossible to keep a bottom bracket bearing for all that long, um, those surfaces do eventually wear. Um, and then you get all that creaking that you're talking about. So um, the biggest issue here, I mean, Trek does offer slightly oversized bearings for, for people who are having persistent creaking issues and then uh, they will even go so far as to kind of remanufacture that area of your frame if you're having persistent creaking problems. But the biggest problem for me, as far as BB90 goes, is that you don't really have any options aside from that as far as like aftermarket thread together bottom bracket solutions because there's just no room in the cup to put anything in there. So you're kind of stuck. 
Um, so Token do make a thread together cup for that frame, but uh, it seems impossible to find, and it also makes the bearings used even smaller. Uh, so, really, really tiny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's one of the only options out there. Your other options are crank availability, which Needle gets introduced to that rate. system. You have to stick with 24 millimeter spindle cranks. So Yeah. So, I mean, I... I, I've ridden the Trek Madone quite a lot. Um, I do like it overall. I think it rides great and handles great and it's a fast bike and so on and so forth. Um, that bottom bracket is a persistent sticking point and um, Trek, I have a feeling someone from there is going to be listening to this podcast. So <laughs> I'm probably going to get an angry call or email about this somewhere or more probably more accurately, either Kaylee or someone on our commercial team is going to get an angry call or email about this. <laughs> but um, Alonso, if you are married to the idea of getting that particular bike and again i think there are a lot of good reasons to go with that bike it seems pretty obvious that trek is going to move that that frame family to a t47 threaded setup because that's where they have already moved some of their other stuff to and i would be inclined to wait until that version came out because i think that would maybe solve some headaches down the road also, just, just to add to that, I mean, as, as Zach said, there are worse bottom bracket systems out there. I mean, I've got a Demane in the garage, which has never had a creaking issue. Um, well, sorry, that's not true. It had once had a creaking issue, and a new set of bearings fixed it and has been silent since. I, I ride with plenty of people that have these tracks that, again, haven't had an issue. Um, I mean, at one point, Trek suddenly had some some quality control issues that introduce these issues but I, I think they're on top of that again um and from what i've seen in recent time they're they're pretty reliable now so it's not it's not a terrible system yeah i mean theoretically it's no different than the way your headset bearings sit in the carbon seat in the frame so as long as everything's made properly and maintained then it'll be fine and more and less. more likely than not if if you're riding if you're going to be riding this bike in predominantly dry conditions you'll probably be okay but i guess it just depends on you know, kind of your tolerance for, you know, kind of chasing down noises and fixing things and that sort of thing. So is it a bad bike? No, not at all. Is that, is that bottom bracket a deal breaker? I wouldn't say it is, but it's certainly something to think about. Unless you live in like Portland, maybe. Yeah. But then you also if have you a rain somewhere bike like and Port- don't ride your Madeira yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. Personally, I don't ride in the rain, so I've never had any issues. <laughs> Ditto. Because we live in Colorado and it doesn't rain here. Except um, by accident, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, last question. Uh, Zach, I'm going to direct this yeah. to you. Um, although, actually, I would say that, you know, Dave and I would be able to chime in on this. Hey, what am I, chopped liver over here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yep. Chop, 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 chop. Nope. Uh, this one comes from Vela Club member Jeff. I don't, sorry, Jeff, I don't have your last name. It's just VDD. I'm guessing it's Vanden something. Um, so we had a big discussion in a previous episode about chain waxing and how to clean your chains and blah, blah, blah. But how do most bike shops clean chains? Zach, what do you do? Ooh. I mean, I'd say like in terms of bike shops that I've worked at, the the techniques used to clean chains varies a lot from not at all to taking the chain off and putting it in a parts washer to hosing the bike off and cleaning it with brushes. Like I would say every bike shop generally has their own procedure on how they do things. Um, and I'd say also kind of depends on the level of service that you're getting at the bike shop in terms of how clean they get it. What's the best, what's the best way? I mean, the best so way, a lot of, I'd let Dave answer that <laughs> ultrasonic. Oh man. 
No, um, I was just going to say like a lot of shops will avoid taking the chain off the bike um, so they don't have to break the chain. Uh, so they'll they'll often, um, I guess, depending on your service intervals, they'll actually try to change the chain, swap the chain for a new one, and then clean the other components to go with that fresh chain. Yeah, I would say that. take yeah. the chain off the bike and clean it off the bike. Yeah, because a lot of shops too are so, yeah. weird and also don't like to just wash a bike because if you get water on it, it's going to ruin all of the bearings. So mm. they'll sell you a new chain instead of cleaning your current one. It's probably not a so, bad idea anyway. I mean, honestly, unless you're taking your bike into the shop really frequently, you probably need a new. You chain probably anyways. need a new chain every time you yes. go into the shop, right? So just just put a new chain on it. That's easy enough. And and it's it is you know replacing your chain and keeping it stopping it from uh, elongating is is you know a true cost saver. It can really extend the life of everything else, uh, all the other drivetrain components. So I mean, it's it's a it's a good wear item to replace on uh, you know regular intervals. Dave, you wouldn't happen to have a have written an article dealing with that, would you? Um, not so Maybe much an article. One? It was more like a a book, but um, <laughs> ebook. Yeah, uh, there's mm-hmm. there's the complete guide to chainware, and then if you if you want to go further than that, there's complete guides to chain cleaning and all other chain related things. <laughs> Everyone's just left the room. <laughs> yep yep <laughs> on rome is, on that note rome is the only person i know that literally owns an entire corner of the internet he has a little room all to himself about chains and if you google anything about chains the only thing that shows up is dave rome stories and i'm just i'm impressed yep, by like, that it's really you, genuinely yep, you impressive. go to you go to the image tab in the, the google search and it's just pictures of dave's face over, over, over <laughs> yeah. again. i like alice in wonderland so i created my own rabbit hole <laughs> excellent excellent <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up because if we get too far down this rabbit hole, we are going to be here for another hour or two if we let Dave go on and on about chains. So uh, if you liked this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes because it does help people find this uh, find this podcast and obviously helps us with, uh, I guess, should I say that it helps us with advertisers? Does it make us look better? Mm, I don't think they really care. Makes us feel better, though. It does make us feel better. So if you just want to make us feel better, please give us a positive rating. We'd appreciate it. And more importantly, subscribe so you don't miss another episode. So with that, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye. Ciao.